All right, so this is the third week of Advent, and uh, it's, it's really a wonderful time to, as we've been kind of reading through things, just take, uh, take notice of our hearts and kind of the rhythms of our hearts and how we're, we're prone to forget some of the true meanings of things uh, when they just become so uh, remote or routine for us. And so it's just our hope that we kind of settle into uh, the, the reality of Christmas, the truth of Advent, the truth of Christ's coming and, and what that means and everything for us and this being the third week of Advent is all about the joy of uh, seeing what God has done in the coming of Jesus. And uh, uh, kind of neat to have in the midst of our service the reading of, of Christ's birth in that whole uh, story. If you don't read that together on Christmas with your family, I'd highly encourage you to do it. Um, just Luke 2 is a great place to start. Uh, you can also find some of the story in Matthew. Um, but uh, wonderful places to see what God did by bringing Christ to the world. Uh, and so this week really is about the peace of God that comes to us uh, through his work of sending Jesus. The declaration of the angels uh, includes a, a, an anthem of glory to God because it is a work that God has done. And so glory goes to God, the angels say. Uh, but then he makes a statement or the angel choir makes a, a statement in their song that says, uh, peace on earth or peace among men. Uh, among whom he is pleased. And so that idea of peace is, is uh, completely encaptured, uh, encaptured in the person of Jesus and in his work. And even in one of the foretelling promises uh, of the Old Testament about Jesus and who he would be, uh, we see the title, the Prince of Peace. And we'll read that in a minute. And so today, as we look at uh, what it is that God has done for us, ultimately, we're looking at this deep desire that we have for peace and how God brings that desire about through uh, the work of Jesus. And so I'm going to read just a section of what Nathan just read. I'm going to read just from 8 to 14 again, uh, and then we'll pray and uh, jump in to look at the peace of God. So here it is, starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come again this morning not as a matter of just repetition and routine, um, but we come to kind of take a deep breath in our soul and to recognize uh, that we need help from heaven uh, if we are to know you and hear your words and uh, be changed or transformed by the power of the gospel. And so we pray in these moments that you would take um, all of the uh, many distractions from our life and our week, and that you would still them for these moments, uh, and that you would even put them in their place in some way, that you would help us uh, to gain a perspective um, that uh, these angels had and that uh, suddenly was thrust upon these shepherds, a perspective that God uh, is doing something spectacular. Uh, and God, we know that that work has been done uh, at the giving of Jesus, and we know that it is continuing uh, as his truth continues to form and shape uh, and reform our lives. Um, and so we ask for the help 
that only the Holy Spirit can give, that these words and uh, your words would uh, be applied to our hearts. Uh, they would bring uh, true joy and transformation, and we would ultimately see how the deep peace that we long for is given to us through Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Um, so help us these moments, God, to hear from you. We thank you, God, that you are uh, in our midst and that uh, your promise is that you will be with us and never leave us or forsake us. Um, so we are uh, just simply responding to all the great things that you've done. And we ask these things this morning in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. So this angel declaration, and I try to think of, 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 of a modern day comparison, and it's pretty hard uh, to, to imagine maybe what would go on. But if, if, if let's say Tampa Bay is is where this is all going down, right? And there's some teenage girl uh, in, um, I don't even know the small towns up north here, uh, what, they're, what they're named, but uh, um, just some random, seemingly insignificant girl who has a baby and is saying that she's born, or that this child is the product of, of God giving her uh, a child. And then there's a little bit of story kind of surrounding that. And then all of a sudden out in the bay, there's a couple dudes fishing uh, late one night because they've just got to finish. And boom, the sky just lights up, right? And the sky lights up and these angels just start singing. And this guy comes and he's clothed in white and he descends from heaven and he declares to them, the king of the universe has been born. And he's born of a virgin, and now you can go and find out what it is that God has done. Just these kind of random, crazy, shocking things that have never happened before, will never be repeated afterward, that are just suddenly happening. We saw them in the last couple of weeks as well, with, with babies being born to old people, and then the, the declaration of Jesus coming, and, and, and Zechariah being mute, and then suddenly being able to talk, and all these seemingly random things coming together at a very close point in history, just declaring to us loudly and repeatedly, something historic is going on here, something that is literally defining uh, for us where history is split, and it is happening because God is bringing it about. None of these things could be accomplished if man just set their mind about to it. It has been, it is, and it will be the work of God to do these things. And so we see this declaration again from these angels, as we saw Zechariah's declaration and Mary's the week before, that points to the, the, the splendor and the majesty and the glory and the power and the renown of God who is at work to do what no one could do without him. And so this declaration from them about glory to God points to the fact that it is God's work and God's work alone, that this was not the craftiness of men to bring about these events. This was not the, the skilled planning of some people who had a lot of power. Everybody God is dealing with in this story is powerless. They're all in poverty. They're all just working class, normal, barely getting by type people. These are the people that God is using, that God is declaring these things to, that God is at work in so that what? All glory goes to God. No man can look back and say, look at me. I crafted this together. I've been working my plan so well. I spent my money at the right time. I met the right people in the right place. I enacted all of my purposes so that I could bring about this great thing. No, God alone has done this work, and it is glorious to behold that truth. And amongst this declaration of the angels that glory is due to God for his work is this statement that on earth peace has come to mankind. 
And the biblical idea of peace is wrapped up in this rich Hebrew word called shalom. And if you've ever read any of the Old Testament and you've, and you've heard the, seen the word peace in there, the translation of it in Hebrew would be shalom. And the idea of shalom is, is an idea that if you think about it, it should basically make you think of Eden. Shalom is all peace because of perfect peace with God and the complete absence of sin and evil. Shalom was this idea of all things working exactly as they're supposed to work in harmony with one another because everything is right between God and his creation. Specifically God and mankind, but also all of creation. And so peace, this shalom idea, brings about just a deep longing when we sit and think about it, right? Because I don't have peace We don't know peace. We know restlessness. We know strife. We know worry. Because these have been introduced to our world through the sin of our Father and through our own willing participation in his rebellion against God. Graham Goldsworthy says that peace is the well-being of the whole person in relation to God. Can you imagine a life without distraction? Can you imagine a life without fear? Can you imagine a life without sickness? (laughs) People sick all over the place. Can you imagine a life where everything that you put your hands to works and it doesn't break and you don't have to go back and redo it again? And the people that you give the job to, to do the job that you need them to do, do it perfectly. Can you imagine peace like that? We don't know that peace. And so just to speak of this peace brings us to a place where we say, man, I wish that was true. I long for that to be true. And then we see in Isaiah chapter 9, the declaration of Jesus coming. It says, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So if there is to be peace again, we know where it will come from. It will come from the Prince of Peace the bringer of peace, the giver of peace. And Jesus is that promised prince of peace. And so we know that we don't have peace. We know that we have strife and we have brokenness and we have futility and we have struggle. But we also have to recognize that in this world, we often seek counterfeit peace, right? We're sold or told or led toward what we think is peace that doesn't actually end up being peace. And when we categorize this kind of counterfeit peace that comes, we can basically set it into two different uh, categories, and that is that there's a peace that the world offers, and then there's also a peace that religion offers, or Jesusless religion. John 14, verse 27, Jesus actually names the fact that there's an effort towards peace that doesn't come from him. He's speaking with his disciples. It's one of his uh, wonderful teaching moments with them. And he says to them, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And then he makes this really important clarification. Not as the world gives do I give you. 
right? So I'm going to give you peace, but not the way you've always been sold peace, guys. I'm giving it in a whole new way that is different than what the world gives. And he also says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so we know this false peace, right? We're sold it all the time. It's in the world. It's being told us regularly. It's being sold us regularly. We're being encouraged to pursue this peace. And it's in all sorts of different areas. It's partly in just the systems of the world. We think if we get things functioning in a particular way, then we'll experience peace, right? Politics pursues this. And we know that while at times we, we obtain aspects of peace, that enduring, permanent, long-lasting, forever peace is rarely possible among mankind, because of all of the brokennesses of sin that have come uh, into the world. We also have these, these kind of uh, Band-Aid type pieces, right? Pieces, peace, pieces. <laughs> these false, this false piece that comes just as kind of a cover. This piece that says, you know, yeah, man, it's all good, right? Like, <laughs> it's all going to be fine. Just to kind of brush over peace that happens, right? Some of this is chemical for us. Right? A lot of us in our culture, in our world, we, we look to peace, we look to find peace through some sort of chemical alteration. Right? And I mean, you name it, we've all got something that's bringing that. Some are much more highly addicted to that thing, uh, but a lot of us turn to things for comfort because they bring us a false peace. They, they push down all of the fray for a moment so that we can at least rise above it for a time and what ends up happening is all of the strife and all of the discord just continues to spiral because we never actually deal with what is broken. We just cover over it with a feel good feelings, right? We just get our brains in a better place or we relax ourselves and still the peace never truly comes. And so we have these counterfeit pieces from the world. And probably the darkest of them all is that sin offers us peace. Sin tells you that the angst that you're feeling is because you're not giving in to something. Sin tells you you'll feel better if you do that, if you go that direction, if you just give in to those desires. Sin promises peace. And when we grab hold of the false peace that sin offers, we find decay and destruction. And guys, our world is championing this idea of just give in. You just do you, man. You'll be at peace. Completely ignoring that God made you so he determines who you are. And therefore, peace has nothing to do with you just being you. It has everything to, you, to do with you seeing who God has made you to be. And so the world and sin, all of these things offer us peace, yet it is not truly peace. Now, I think for us, as those who would say we follow <laughs> Jesus, that the peace that the world offers is definitely a danger to us. It is most certainly something that we are tempted toward on a regular basis. It is kind of the, the, it's the fish tank we're swimming in, right? It's just everywhere around us. It's, 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 the, it's in the air we breathe. Um, but the peace of shallow religion or false religion 
I believe is even more catastrophic to us. And there's an Old Testament passage. It's in Jeremiah chapter 6. It's actually in two places, Jeremiah 6 and in 8, where the prophet Jeremiah is being told by God that invasion's coming. It, uh, he's basically being tasked with this doomsday prophecy. God is saying to Israel, you've been unfaithful and I've overlooked your unfaithfulness, but now your unfaithfulness has gone to the point where I'm going to bring some changes. <laughs> and those changes are going to be invasion and you're going to lose your home. And so Jeremiah is proclaiming this. And in the midst of the time that Jeremiah is spreading this true word of God, there are priests and other false prophets in Israel who are saying to everybody, yo, guys, it's cool. It's cool. I mean, you, you mess up a bit, but man, it's cool. Don't worry about it, right? They're just, they're just trying to, to paint a, a picture of everything being okay and that they're still God's precious people and it doesn't really matter what they've done. They just, it's okay. And, and Jeremiah stepped, or God speaks to Jeremiah and says that these people are under his swift condemnation because of this fake peace that they're proclaiming. And Jeremiah 6.14 is kind of a central verse in this whole thing where he says they, these false prophets, these priests, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Now this false peace where there is no peace is a light healing of people's wounds when God's judgment is about to fall because they need to pursue God in repentance. They need to uh, decry. They need to uh, step out and, and name their sin. They need to come to the Lord with repentance and humility. That's what God wants from them. That's what God has always wanted from them. And yet these false prophets and priests are just like, man, it's good. Don't worry about owning your sin. Don't worry about being humbled by the fact that God has called you to righteousness and you have not followed him. And in this moment, these people are healing the wounds. These priests are healing the wounds of the people lightly. This peace that God can bring cannot come without repentance and faith. And yet these false priests are just saying it's okay. And we've got some modern equivalents to this reality, right? We, we have these blanket statements like, it's all right, nobody's perfect. It's a great statement because it's true. Nobody is perfect, but it's often used as just a light healing that doesn't require me to repent. It doesn't require me to own the fact that I personally am fallen and broken and I am contributing to the brokenness around me. No, it just says, ah, well, nobody's getting it right. It's a loose let off the hook because, oh, well, so I'm not perfect. So are you perfect? You know, it's just this light religious fluff that promises peace, but there's no peace because the healing of the heart can't truly take place. If we don't own what is broken, we're never going to see it healed. If we don't turn over to God that which we fractured, how can he mend it? We just paint over it with these light religious statements. We've got this really difficult task before us because we know this world tells us, judge not lest you be judged. It's one of 
the favorite Bible verses of our culture and of our time. Um, and it's just misapplied. It has nothing to do with not coming to brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging them towards faith and repentance. It has everything to do with self-evaluation and recognizing I too am in sin and brokenness and I need repentance as I come to my brother and sister and encourage them towards Jesus in the same way. And so we have these light painting over these, these false pieces that are declared, some by the world and sadly some are declared by religion. And in the end, some of us do not know peace because we are trying the peace of the world. And it keeps falling through the cracks of our fingers. And in the end, some of us don't know peace because we've continued to try the peace that religion offers. And again, it falls through the cracks. And the thing about this false peace that is offered is that it is peace that doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't address the true issue. The true issue in all of our strife, in all of our discord, in all of the feelings of anxiety and fear that we have where we do not have peace, the true root of it all is a lack of peace with God. Where there is not peace with God, there cannot be peace at all. And so it is peace with God that we truly seek. And in John 14, 27 that we read a minute ago, at the end, Jesus said, let, your heart, let, your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So often our lack of peace is manifested through a troubled heart. We're troubled with guilt. We're troubled with inadequacy. We're troubled with burdens or with suffering. Or our hearts are deeply afraid. We're afraid of the future. Our hearts are not at peace because we're afraid of what financial problems or marital strife or, or what's going to happen at our jobs. Or we're afraid for our children. These are very real fears and anxieties. And the root of all this trouble and fear is this gigantic question looming in our lives. And that is the question, is God for me? Is God for me? Because the idea of peace and war is an idea of opposing forces or cooperating forces. And so in our hearts, we're asking this question, is God opposed to me or is God with me? Is God for me in the depths of our soul? That's the peace we long for to know that God is for me, right? And so in the midst of our troubles, we, we deeply question this idea, is he really for me? I don't really feel him. I'm still afraid. I'm still going through this hard time. I'm still full of anxiety and strife. Is God, is he really here? If he's really here, why is this happening? Is he really here? Can I truly trust him? And in Jesus Christ, we see the full and final declaration, and that is, yes, God is for you. God is for you. How do I know? Because Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who preached peace to those who were far off. Jesus, the one who brought peace who were not, to those who were not at peace. Who did Jesus pursue? Those who were ostracized in society. Those who were pushed aside. The women and the children. Jesus kept company with them. Those that were tax collectors and essentially enemies of Israel. Jesus is hanging out with, doing lunch with them, right? The, the sinner class of people. Those that were excused from worship because they were impure. Jesus was pursuing these people in peace. And what did he get for it? War. 
Jesus got war. The perfect man of peace was embattled by the religious leaders, by those who rejected his message. And then at the cross, we see the greatest paradox of all time, that the man of peace was absorbing the wrath of God. All that is not peaceful in me was poured out on Jesus. He who lived in eternity past in the perfect peace of union with God forever experienced war with his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was his cry. Jesus knew the moment was coming before it even happened, and yet at the time it happened, he was aghast at how painful it was. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you at odds with me? Why are you opposed to me? Why are you rejecting me? So you could have peace. The man of peace experienced war so that you might have true peace with God. In Romans 5.1, I mean, we should just exegete Romans 5 today. It's glorious. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. The key to true peace is this justification issue that we, though we were at war with God, have been called the friends of God because Jesus absorbed the wrath of God that we might have his peace. Peace is possible because of that work of Jesus. And continuing in Romans 5, starting in verse 6, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, while we were still enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were at odds with the God of all creation. And what did he do about it? He sent Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to die in our place, to give us true peace. He gave us what we could not get ourselves. He did this glorious work. And so the angel declaration, glory to God, is true. Look at the work of God and what he has done. He has sent this peace. In Ephesians 2.14, Paul says that Jesus is himself our peace. And there's something about this peace that goes beyond this world. Because here's the the rub, right? We're still here. (laughs) The strife is often still around us. The brokenness is something we know well ourselves and we see clearly in others. But the peace that God brings is not simply a matter of getting rid of conflict. It is a deep inner rest 
of the soul, knowing that God is for us and that all these things, Romans 8, are working together for good. Martin Luther said that the peace of God is not a matter of the five senses or of the understanding, but it goes beyond these and it is a matter of faith. This true peace that comes from God is a peace we have to believe. Because often the feelings betray us, the circumstances betray us, the events around us don't lead us to think that. And yet with the eyes of faith, we look and behold Jesus, the Prince of Peace, and the gift that he's given us, the real peace that came through his coming and through his dying. Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God surpasses understanding. Love that little phrase that helps us understand that it's not about grasping it with our brains. It's deeper than that. It goes beyond understanding. It goes beyond what we can just see right here and right now. It goes deep into our souls and it promises our hearts a peace that we cannot attain on our own. This is the Prince of Peace, that which our souls long for. What's beautiful about this is it's not peace that you have to go make. It's peace that you just have to receive, right? Go make peace is most often our terms for how to get it. I've got to go make peace. There's some effort. Maybe there's an awkward conversation. Maybe there's a fight. Maybe there's a disagreement. You have to go and make the peace. But the beauty of this peace that comes from God is that it is not earned. It is given. Look at verse 10 in our text again. The angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. This is one of Luke's first usages of evangelion, this word for the gospel that we talk about all the time. And the gospel is not information that you need so that you can achieve something. The gospel is a front page headline declaring what has been done. The angel is here to say, Here's what's happened, right? And this is even post-birth of Jesus. So there's a declaration that says, go check it out. He's already here. He has arrived. The work's been done. Eternal God is now man. So here he is. You can see it. You can touch it. I was going to say you can smell it. So like he's, he's here. It's been done. The work is accomplished for you. He doesn't show up to the angels and say, all right, fellas, time to get your house in order and figure some stuff out because you've got to go make some peace with God. He's angry at you. You've got to figure it out. Otherwise, you're doomed. It wasn't the angel declaration. Good news, great joy for everybody. The child is born. Peace has come. It's been given. It doesn't have to be earned And so in this season, we see the beauty of peace as a gift of grace from the hand of God. This is why Paul's letters often open with grace and peace to you. These earth-shattering ideas, grace and peace to you. How? By you mustering it up, by you earning it, by you going to figure it out? No, by God giving. And through faith in Christ and his work for you, that peace in your heart, that ultimate peace, the the brokenness with God, that fractured relationship with the ultimate creator, that relationship is healed. And so now through that, we're empowered to peace in all sorts of realms and opportunities. 
Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we have now the tools to be those who make peace because we are at peace with God. He's given us that peace. And so we rejoice with gladness. So this is Jesus, born a son of man, born the son of God. He himself is your peace. And I pray that you would find true peace in God and that all of your worries and all of your fears would be right in their perspective or be, be righted in your perspective so that you would know that his peace supersedes those fears and those anxieties. There was several months ago that uh, I was either emailing or talking with my parents and they told me about this uh, old hymn. My parents were choir people uh, back when I was a kid and just loved the old hymns. Whenever they came to church here, they just, my dad was giddy that we did hymns. Uh, he was okay that we remade them, but he was just glad that the words were there. Um, uh, no, he loved it. Um, so they, they, they sent me, my mom sent me a, a, a PDF of, of a hymn uh, called Day by Day. It was written in uh, the 19th century, like all the good hymns. Um, and so I printed it out and I stuck it on my wall. And uh, it was just a reminder of, of the fact that even in the deepest, hardest trials, uh, God is with us. Um, and so I had that stuck on my wall in my office. And when I went home uh, for dad's passing and, and, and memorial and everything, his Bible was on the nightstand next to where I slept. And I was paging through it. And uh, there was all these different notes. It was really neat. And there were some pictures of my, grand, uh, my niece and nephew uh, my dad's grandkids, so I showed them. I was like, hey, you need to know, Bompa had your pictures in his Bible. It's pretty cool, isn't it? You know. And then at the back of it, uh, I found that same hymn uh, printed out. So I grabbed it, and I just took it. I didn't even ask my mom, but this is the actual hymn uh, that was in the back of my dad's Bible. And so I'm not sure how often he reread this, but I would imagine quite a bit. Uh, and so in the midst of this is some really important stuff that I think touches exactly on what we're talking about this morning. So I'm going to read verse 1 to you this morning as we close, if I can get through it. So it says this, Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I've no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we need to know this peace that we have with you. And whether it's just an observation of the lack of peace that's in our world or if it's a deep personal knowledge of lack of peace in our own lives, one way or another, God, we recognize that by ourselves through our own devices with either worldly wisdom or shallow religion, God, we cannot achieve peace on our own. We need it given. We need it handed to us. We need it delivered for us. We need it accomplished and finished and then passed on to us to receive, to believe, to enjoy, and to spread. 
And so we do pray in this season of peace. Often it's false peace, but we pray for true peace. That the Prince of Peace who has come for us would reside deep in our hearts, giving us what we cannot earn on our own, a glorious peace with our Creator and God. And that, Lord, you would help our hearts uh, really, help, help this really sink in to our hearts. God, so often we, we shift and move from, from counterfeit peace to counterfeit peace, never really finding a place to rest. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts through a deep transformation of your spirit to bring us true peace. And that, God, whether we're in sadness or in hardship or in difficulty or in frustration or in anger or in turmoil or where we are, that we would see the deep effects of being at peace with God, that we would know that you are for us and not against us, that we are no longer the enemies of God. We are his friends. We are his daughters. We are his sons. How much at peace with God are we? if we are called children. So God, in this season that promises us all sorts of counterfeit peace, would you give us this true peace? In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.